I'm Marty Dodson. And I'm Clay Mills. Welcome to Songtown on Songwriting. We've got a very special guest today, Bill Anderson, Hall of Fame songwriter, who has had songs recorded in an amazing number of decades. He will tell you the answer to that in the interview. But this is a, a long interview we did several years ago with Bill on the Songtown website. You can hear the whole thing there. Uh, but we're going to take several clips, and I think you're going to learn a lot about songwriting, but you're also going to enjoy just hearing about his journey. So we'll dive right in. This man has done so many things. We, we have no way we can cover them all tonight, so we're going to focus mainly on songwriting. But you've done, you've written books, you've been on game shows, like hosted game shows, right? Yes. You have been on soap operas. You've, um, were you a stripper at one time? That was in the other life, other life. way before this. Yeah, uh, he's written songs that have charted in how many decades now? Seven, but who's counting? Damn, apparently <laughs> you are. Wow! So the man's first charting song was in the fifties. So he's wow. had fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousands, and two thousand ten. That is amazing. Well, I've been very blessed. I really have. I. Uh, I wrote a line on a song the other day. I've got a new song I just wrote and recorded called Thankful, and I'm talking about all the things that I'm thankful for in my life, and one of the things I said was, I was thankful for all the artists that didn't throw my songs in the trash. <laughs> yep, I know the feeling. Yeah. Well, let's just, let's kind of go back. You you were born in South Carolina, right? Mm -hmm. Raised in Georgia. Mm -hmm. When did you start writing songs? When I was about nine years old, nine or ten mm -hmm. years old. Um, my heroes were the local hillbillies as we called them in those days on the radio stations in the towns where I grew up. Not necessarily the big national stars to start with, but the local stars. They were stars to me. And I loved their music. And when I realized that songs were things that had to be written, they didn't just fall out of the sky. I got a guitar and learned a few chords and thought, you know, this is something I might enjoy doing. I tell you, the first song I wrote now, you said I was born in South Carolina, right? I grew up in Georgia. Get a map of the United States and look. I had never been west of a little town called Carrollton, Georgia, which is right on the Georgia-Alabama line. I had never been even as far west as Alabama. So the first song I wrote, naturally, was called Carry Me Back to My Old Texas Home. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know where Texas was. Purely fiction. <laughs> Just sounded like something was... Country songwriter ought to be writing about. So Bill um, goes on to talk about some other things, but he talks about a magazine that he subscribed to as a kid, and I, I thought this was interesting because it kind of mirrored my experience. So we'll share a bit of that conversation. I was a big fan and a subscriber to a magazine called Country Song Roundup. Did you ever see Country Song yeah, Roundup? They printed the lyrics to the songs, mm -hmm. and they printed the names of the writers and the publishers. And I got a subscription to Country Song Roundup when I was about maybe 12 or 13 years old. And it came out once a month. And I would get that magazine, and I would study those words. I would study those writers. I would look, well, so-and-so wrote this one. Well, he wrote this one, too. Well, look, that's kind of similar. It's got style. Now, this guy, he writes different songs, and he writes them in a different way. I really studied it without really realizing I was studying it. It was something I was enjoying, and I was learning from it probably without realizing it. Yeah, I did that, too. I, I would get the album liner notes and read it and read the writers and go, who's this Joe Henry guy writing with John Denver on this song I like, you know, and 
and try to like you try to figure out what they're doing what's you know what's is there a formula to this how how do you make it work so you started when you were around nine mm-hmm. um did you by the time you got to college were you thinking about that as a career or where where had your songwriting gone in between like nine, age nine and college bunch of bad songs you know <laughs> but learning yeah. uh my dad brought me to nashville and we got an appointment with a man named Murray Nash, who was working at the time at Acuff Rolfs Publishing Company, and that was one of the big companies, if not the biggest company in town at the time. Murray Nash met me on a Saturday morning. I was 15 years old, and he met me and my dad, and he sat me down for a couple of hours, and he started talking to me about how you write songs. you got to write it like you're telling a story. Every line has got to build on the line in front of it. There are no places for you to waste a word or waste any time, waste a note. It's all got to build and and coordinate together. And I took so much away from what Murray Nash told me, and I went back home, and I was writing a lot of different things. I was a sports writer for a while, but you didn't know that. I did. Actually, I read about that today. I, I tried to do a lot of research on it. Well, I, I worked as a sports writer. I've always loved to write. I knew in my early life I was going to do something that had to do with writing, uh, mass communications, whether sports or music. Those were my passions, and I knew somewhere, I felt like somewhere in there that it was going to fall into place. And it just happened to be that the songwriting fell into place before the other stuff did. Yeah. So Bill is about to tell us about his first big hit that changed his life. And I think this story is fascinating. So uh, we kind of jump into the middle of this conversation, but you'll uh, enjoy hearing what he has to say. And I was living in a little hotel in town. It was the tallest building in town. It was three stories high. <laughs> And uh, I used to take my guitar a lot of times at night. It would get awfully hot down there in the summertime. And I'd get my guitar after I'd gotten back to the room after my radio shift and eating dinner and maybe doing my homework. And I'd go up on the roof of that little hotel. And that's where my songwriting career really began, was on the roof of the Hotel Andrew Jackson in Commerce, Georgia. I was up there one night in 1957. I was 19 years old. And I had my guitar, and it was a beautiful, clear Georgia night, a lot of stars in the sky. And I looked up at the stars and what few lights there were in Commerce, Georgia. And I wrote a song called City Lights, which changed my life. It was the key to everything in Nashville, the jumping off place for me. I had no idea at the time that it was any different, any better or any worse than anything else I had written. Picture this. This was in August of 57. What was playing on the radio in August of 57? Be you ain't nothing but a You know, I mean, there was not a market for a sad, traditional, three-chord, crying country song like City Lights. So the people that heard it first, they, well, that would have been good, you know, eight or nine years ago <laughs> when Hank Williams was alive and doing those kinds of things. So it kind of went against the grain of everything that was happening, but somehow it worked, and thank goodness it did. And who cut that first? I did. So you, that, you had a hit with that first? No, I didn't say I had a hit. You, you said who cut it first. <laughs> I cut it for a little label called TNT Records in San Antonio, Texas. And they probably pressed up 200 copies or something and sent it around. But it got a little attention. There was a man here in town. Did you ever know a, a writer here in town by the name of Charlie Lamb? 
No, I didn't. Well, you missed something. Charlie was quite the guy, and uh, he was a little short, wiry kind of a guy with a bundle of energy, and loved country music more than just about anybody. And Charlie heard my record of of City Lights. He was running a newspaper then, called the Music Reporter, and I had sent him a copy of my record for to get a review because he reviewed records in his paper, and he liked City Lights so much that he took it to Chet Atkins, who was A and R at RCA at the time, and Chet was producing an artist named Dave Rich. I don't know if you've ever heard of Dave Rich or not. He was a, he was quite a stylist. I used to tell people he sang like he had a pedal steel guitar in his throat. I mean, he on on City Lights, the, the opening line of City Lights is the bright array of City Lights. Dave Rich took a ray and made it a five-syllable word. <laughs> the brighter, brighter, I can't do it. But Ray Price heard Dave Rich's record on the radio, and that's how he came to record it. And, of course, Ray Price had the big version of the song. Because yeah. he was a big star. I mean, that was kind of... He yeah, he was he was in his first go around of of big chart records. He had had things like uh, Release Me, and he hadn't had Heartaches by the Number yet. But he had had, you know, he had a firm foundation and a firm place in country music, and it was a big thing to get a Ray Price record. So when you got that, you were in your twenties, early twenties. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. So that was the hit version of, of the song. Yeah, the was Ray that... Price record was the hit version the first time. Uh, Mickey Gilley had a number one record on it about 20 years later. Did really? But, uh, yeah, the, the definitive record is the Ray Price record. Very cool. What was your first number one song? City Lights. Was it? Yeah. Awesome. And was that 61-ish? Uh, no, it was before that. It was number one in 58. Oh, okay. 1958, yeah. Wow. Amazing. So, after when did you move to Nashville? As soon as I could. <laughs> the only thing I had ever promised my parents that I would do, the only thing that they ever really asked me to do, was to graduate from school, from college, get your degree. Because if all this stuff doesn't work out, at least you got something to fall back on. So I stayed in Georgia, stayed in school, I got my degree. I went to graduation on a, uh, I think it was a Tuesday morning. At nine o'clock, I got my diploma, threw my cap up in the air, and by noon I was in my little '58 Ford driving to Nashville, and I never looked back. <laughs> and I came that very day. Hat was in the air when the car got started. Yes, it was. <laughs> That's funny. So Bill proceeded to tell a story a little bit later in the interview that blew my mind. Um, it talks about a legend of American music that uh, he was friends with, and I, I think you'll really enjoy this story. So you moved to Nashville. Do you remember your first co-write? Well, I didn't co-write for a long time. I had met a guy in Atlanta who had the same dreams and aspirations that I had. He wanted to be a songwriter. He wanted to be an artist. And we met backstage at a Grand Ole Opry show in Atlanta one Sunday afternoon, and we got to be good friends. And we told each other, he was a little older than me, and we told each other, whichever one of us gets to Nashville first will help the other one. So he got here first, and he kept his word. He opened a lot of doors for me. You might have heard of him. His name was Roger Miller. I think I've heard of that guy. Yeah, bless his heart. One of the dearest friends I've ever had. And uh, 
he came here and got a publishing contract with Buddy Kellen at Tree Publishing, and he introduced me to Buddy. Buddy became my first publisher here in Nashville. Buddy was responsible for uh, Owen Bradley listening to me and signing me to Decca Records. And Roger and I toured together, had wonderful times, and it was uh, it, it was just um, it, it it couldn't have followed the the path any better because we said that's what we were going to do and i would have done that for him if i had gotten here first mm -hmm. but he got here before i did wow so was he when when you guys met was he already doing some of those songs that he <laughs> became famous for uh, he could have been he roger was not somebody that just created that that image and that talent as he went along when roger was roger was in the army when i met him actually he was stationed in atlanta and he had that off the wall sense of humor from the from the very get go, which is one of the things that you know really attracted uh, us together, because I got kind of a warped sense of humor too, and um, and and he wasn't writing dang me and chug a lug and do ba ba do ba, but he had that little edge to him, and once he did start writing that, it was I'd look back and say, oh, it was inevitable he was going to do <laughs> right. that because the seeds were there. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's what a, a neat mind, story. what a mind he had. Tell them the story you told me about him growing up in East Texas, and West Texas. <laughs> he grew up in West Texas. He was from, uh, well, actually, he was from a little town called Eric, Oklahoma, was his hometown, but he was kind of shuffled around to various family members as he was growing up, and he lived a, a long time in uh, around Shamrock, Texas, in West Texas. And uh, <laughs> he and I were talking one day, I don't know what, what the brought the subject up. He said, uh, you know, it's awful dry out in West Texas. He said, uh, it rained one time about 30 miles from home, but Daddy wouldn't take me to see it. <laughs> Didn't he also talk about paving the family farm? Oh, yeah. He said, if, he said, if I ever if I ever make any money in the music business, I'm going to go home and pave the farm. And what he meant by that was he was tired of pulling weeds and chopping corn and cotton and all the things yeah. he had to do growing up. So uh, he was just going to go home and just Pave the, the whole, pave the whole farm. Yeah, He's yeah. the one that said one time, and I stole this in one of the songs I wrote not long ago. He said, um, "He said I'm so hot." It was when his career was really doing good. He said, "I'm so hot, I've had to get an unlisted driveway." <laughs> <laughs> this this was his sense of humor. He That's just funny. he had a different way of looking at the world. Yeah, that is funny. So, did you guys write together? One time, really. One time, we were riding in his station wagon going from Nashville to Texas. And we had a young boy riding with us named Johnny C, S-E-A-Y, who sang a lot like Johnny C-A-S-H, Johnny Cash. A lot of people thought it was the same thing. Johnny C was riding, and Roger Miller and I got an idea for a song. Actually, there was a science fiction movie back in the late 50s, early 60s, called When Worlds Collide. And Roger had said to me for years, he said, I want to write a song called When Worlds Collide. I said, Roger, you can't do that. You can't write Gone with the Wind. You can't write When Worlds Collide. So we're riding down to Texas in his car, and he was driving. And all of a sudden, I don't know where it came from, he said, what if we called it When Two Worlds Collide? I said, yeah. So he immediately said, see, get up here and drive. So Johnny got up and got under the wheel, and Roger and I got in the, the back seat in the back of that Rambler station wagon. And during the night between Nashville and San Antonio, 
We wrote a song called When Two Worlds Collide. Roger recorded it first, had a big hit on it. Uh, it's been recorded many, many times. Jim Reeves had a big hit record on it, and just about everybody in the business has cut it at one time or another. But that was the only time Roger and I ever co-wrote. I'll tell you an interesting story. In those days, now this is hard for people today to understand. They're watching this thing on a computer or an iCloud or whatever we're floating around up there on. We didn't even have in those days, not only do we not have a cell phone or anything, we didn't even have a little portable tape recorder. When Roger and I wrote that song, we had no way of putting it down on tape to remember right. it. So we decided we're going to stay awake all night. We're not going to go to sleep because <laughs> if we go to sleep, we're going to forget the song. So I'd sing it once, and then he'd sing it once. I'd say by <laughs> 3 in the morning, our eyeballs were done on our cheek. We're still singing that song. By the time we got to Texas and got a disc jockey to come over to the hotel and bring a tape recorder, we were both so sick of that song we never wanted to hear it again. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, those were fun times. I, I wouldn't take anything for those times. There, there's not enough money in the world to buy those memories. Yeah. So next I asked Bill why he thought his songs had such longevity and why he thought he had had such a long, successful career as a songwriter. And I think you'll find his answer really interesting and informative. Well, I've been very blessed. I'll start by saying that. Very blessed with the songs, with the opportunities that I've had. I don't know that I've done anything any different from what Harlan Howard did or Hank Cochran did or Roger Miller did, and they had long, long careers. I guess when I came to Nashville, got in that car that day and started driving up here after graduation, I didn't have it in my mind that I was just going to come up here and stay for three or four years and go back home and get a real job. I was pretty much determined in my heart that this was going to be my life's work if if the business would accept me, if, if they would let me and make this my life's work. It's what I wanted to do. And I've never gotten tired of it. I told you, I wrote a song this afternoon with two friends of mine. I love to write. Even if I never got another song recorded, if nothing ever happened, if I never made another nickel off of it, I'd probably still write. And you would too. You know that. You, you write because there's just something in you that's just got to come out. That's and right. people get it out in different ways, and you and I get it out by writing songs. Yeah. It's kind of like gas. Sometimes you just can't hold it in. <laughs> <laughs> he said that. I didn't. <laughs> well, when, when, you, when you go in to craft a song, you told a story about Mark D. Sanders. Tell, tell them what he said to you one day. About... <laughs> when I first started co-writing, see, let, let me kind of put this in chronological order. For the first 30 years or so, I was in Nashville. I wrote virtually everything by myself. There was the song with Roger Miller, uh, Jerry Crutchfield and I wrote a couple of things, Buddy Killen and I wrote a couple of things, but basically I wrote by myself the majority of my songs. And then I got off hosting game shows and soap operas and all kinds of stuff on television, selling fried chicken around the world at old <laughs> folks' restaurants and stuff, and I kind of got away from writing. It was in the 80s, and the music was changing, and I thought, well, I'm not sure I know how to change with it. So I didn't write for a while, and then Steve Warner came along, recorded a song of mine called The Tips of My Fingers that had been a hit 32 years before, and it went to number one. I said, whoa, wait a minute, maybe I can write. I can write that again or something mm -hmm. like that. So I started writing again, but I really wanted to get into co-writing because that was the big thing. I didn't know if I could do it or not. I used to kind of laugh at people. They say, well, I've got an appointment to write. 
Oh, you can't make an appointment to write. You sit up at night till you get miserable enough and pull the shades down, turn the lights down, and write a sad country song. But I learned that I that, that I could co-write, that I loved to co-write. And the first person I co-wrote with that, that really gave me even more confidence was Vince Gill. And then I got the chance to write with some of the other top writers of the day. And at that point in time, Mark Sanders was one of the top, probably the top, songwriter in Nashville, and I had the opportunity to write with him. And I never will forget what he said that day he came into the session. And I was still new at this whole thing, and I was a little intimidated. I mean, this guy wrote What I Hope You Dance and all these things, you know. And he came in, he looked at me, and he said, well, you want to write something good we can be proud of or something stupid we can get recorded? <laughs> I said, are they exclusive? Can we not write something good we're proud of and still get it recorded? But uh, but that was just that was just kind of his approach to it, you know. But co-writing is, uh, as you know, and you and I have written some things together. We haven't written our big hit yet, but we oh, will. Yeah. And um, it's just something that it's it's an experience you just you don't get it anywhere else. I love it. Yeah, I feel like writing a song by myself is work, and writing a, and co-writing is is play. You know, I, Ooh, I never thought it. of that. Yeah, yeah. So what? You know, I, I think part of the secret maybe to your, I mean, because I've studied some of your, through the process of thinking about interviewing you, I listened to some of your older stuff I had not heard. And, you know, I, th I think there is a um, conversational quality that maybe defies trends, you know, so it, there, there's a conversational quality to your songs that uh, just comes across as really real and mm. true. Um, and maybe that's that's a reason that they can be recorded in multiple decades and thirty years apart. But what when you sat down, um, let's let's talk about the songs you're proud of. Piece of that. If if you went in today and you said I I want to write a song that I can be proud of, what would that be like? What kind of song? Well, I've written some that I'm I'm kind of proud of. Uh, Dean Dillon and I wrote a song back uh, about two thousand and two. That uh, Nadine and I didn't know each other. I mean, we knew of each other. We'd never, I mean, we'd met, but we'd never sat down and, and had a real conversation with each other. A couple of days before we were scheduled to write, Dean called me on the phone. He said, You know, I don't know you very well, and you don't know me. He said, Let's meet for breakfast the morning. We were scheduled to write at 10 o'clock in the morning. He said, Let's meet for breakfast about 7 30. I said, 7.30 in the morning? <laughs> Songwriters don't have that on their clock. Yeah. So I set my clock and, and went in and met him for breakfast. And we sat there and we talked. And he told me the story of his life. Uh, Dean was raised very differently from the way I was. He didn't have a father, didn't know his father, had no relationship with him. I was very close to my father. And we just talked about his life and my life and my life and his life and shared these things. When we got to the office at 10 o'clock to write, the foundation for what we were going to write was already laid in the conversation. And we wrote a song that Kenny Chesney recorded called A Lot of Things Different. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the songs of all the ones I've ever written. That's one of the ones that I'm the proudest of because it's my life, it's Dean's life, it's our life, mm -hmm. and it's it's our song. So when that day was finished, I, I didn't know. You never know. You don't know if you've written a hit, and and you don't. Sometimes you don't even really care. All you want is just did I get everything out of that idea that was in there to get out? Mm -hmm. And I felt like we got everything that there was to get out of that idea. And you know, time has proved us right. Yeah. So That's those are special thing. moments when you when you can do something like that. Like you say, then co-writing becomes fun. 
writing by yourself becomes work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What? So, what about like let's let's say what what song in your career would you say you're most proud of? Well, that's probably one of them. Probably is. The songs that that you like the best yourself are not always your biggest hits. I don't know anybody hardly whose biggest hit is their favorite song. Yeah. Uh, why? I don't know. Uh, a lot of things different I'm proud of. I'm proud of Whiskey Lullaby that I co-wrote with John Randall, uh, particularly in view of the fact that John didn't think it would ever do anything. Really? He just yelled. Yeah, the night we wrote it, he just kind of fluffed it off in the beginning. I said, we need to do a demo. Nah. You know, he he had no faith in that song, and I did. I had faith in it from the very beginning, and I kind of pushed him to make a demo and finally got him in the studio, and we made the demo. And then, of course, Brad heard it and uh, recorded it with Allison, which is another whole separate story. But I was proud of that song because I knew that John Randall had to dig deep down inside to talk about putting the bottle to his head and pulling the trigger because he'd been there. He was going through a terrible time in his life. And he opened up and shared that with me the day we went to write that song. You know, you always try to go to a writing session with an idea because you know your co-writer is going to say, okay, what have you got? So you better have something. So I said, "Um, I want to write a song called Midnight Cigarette. And he kind of looked at me. I said, the idea would be that a relationship just kind of burned out like a cigarette in an ashtray at midnight. Just picture that cigarette sitting there, and it just burns itself out. He said, I like that. And then he picked up the guitar, and he said, well, let me show you something. And he sang, put the bottle to his head and pull the trigger. I forgot all about Midnight <laughs> And actually, the opening line of Whiskey Lullaby is, she put him out like the burning end of a midnight cigarette, which is where that came from. I wish we had time to just give you the whole interview with Bill because he sang us some songs. He told us some more awesome stories. An incredible story about one of his guitars getting uh, stolen and then returned to him after about 40 years. But you can hear all that on songtown.com. If you're a Songtown member, you can hear the whole interview. But just an amazing guy. At the time, we we recorded that interview several years ago. uh, As I'm recording this, Bill is 83 years old. Still very active as a co-writer. He performs uh, on the Opry and does all that kind of stuff. Just a fascinating guy. So I encourage you to uh, dig in and learn some more about him and his career and his songs because he has written some monsters and he's done it over, I think now he has had songs recorded in eight decades, which is unbelievable. Um, And so since we went so long, we're not going to have a lesson today. I hope you learned some things from Bill. We are going to leave you with a song. This one's called Barefoot Beauty, written and performed by Songtown member Christine Writing. Hope you will follow us, rate us. We especially love it if you rate us five, but we also want you just to rate us and give us feedback so we can make the podcast better to meet your needs. And uh, you can find us anywhere you find podcasts. We've just released a new book um, called Mastering Melody Writing, which you can get on Amazon or Book Baby. We got links in the show notes. So here's the song, and have a great week.